Hello, and welcome to another edition of Storytelling on Orchard Street in the podcast studios of P&T Knitwear Bookstore on 180 Orchard Street, hence the name. Um, with me, I have uh, my favorite person here at P&T Knitwear. I only know your first name, Felicia. <laughs> Hi, it's so nice to be here with you, Pete. I'm, I'm so glad this happened. I was hoping I could get to do this at some point. Um, I'm gonna, my guest canceled, so I decided to be my own guest. And um, I'm doing a episode that'll be uh, all music related, all about musicians or music. And, uh, but I, I wanted you to come in here because I was hoping that uh, you can talk about the bookstore and how this all happened in the podcast studio and how's it going and all that. And then if you want, you could talk about something that's relevant in your life not to do, nothing to do with the bookstore. Yeah. Now, maybe just pull that a little closer. Great. That's good. Uh, and your last name, did you say it? I didn't yeah, hear it. Oh, my name is Felicia Reich. I am the podcast studio associate at PNT Knitwear Podcast Studio inside PNT Knitwear. And a very, and a very um, friendly and supportive person. I Thank appreciate you, you very much. <laughs> we love having you here. Thanks. It's an absolute pleasure um, to be able to host you in this space. Yeah. Um, something we love to do here is host community members. Right. Um, you've contributed so much with your um, participation in readings oh, and things yeah. like that. Um, yeah, we're also an event space, as you know. We'll host readings, we'll host um, author talks and conversations, Q&As, book signings as well. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we'll host things like fundraisers and things like that. It's a um, great space. It's a really beautifully done space. Um, so I, I go to a lot of readings, and a lot of them are in bars, and sometimes you get stuck in the back or whatever. And not that that's bad, um, but it's nice to come to the readings here because there's no distractions. There's no, you know, I like to have a beer here and there, but, the, you know, that's not uh, stepping over what's yeah. going on. Sometimes, like, one of the readings I go to uh, can be, like, kind of noisy and, you know, hard for the poets to get their message out. But here it's so intimate, and uh, and you there is a cafe also, so if yeah. you come to a reading or an event, you you can have a latte or a, yes. some kind of iced tea or something. Um, our our coffee is some of the best that I've ever had, yeah. and that is like an unbiased opinion. And and the teas are good too. There's always we a good tea. We house make our own chai, our own London fogs, um, our own mochas. The so last time I was really here, um, oh god, I'm forgetting her name. Amina, no. she's the manager. Shana. Shana. I, yeah. I was going to say something like Shoshana. Shana. Mm -hmm. I would have been close. Um, she was making um, something that I do at home. Uh, she had fresh ginger, mm -hmm. and she was going to make a, a ginger extract tea. Yeah. And she Our, was doing all these spices with it. And, oh, man, I wish it, I, I was there when it was finished. <laughs> Seriously, like the the level of care that all of our right. baristas put into all of their drinks and like especially like to our regulars and things like that, knowing what they like, what their body needs at that time. Like you can definitely feel it. Like I can tell when somebody makes a chai, like who infused their love into it. Like everyone leaves like their own thumbprint on it. It's right. great. Um, tell the listeners the, his, the, the background because it's very interesting for this store. Our and how would that name came about? Mm -hmm. P&T Knitwear is not a very 
intuitive name for a right. bookstore. Yep. Uh, Which makes it interesting. Yeah, I like to make the little joke, um, you know, like no netwear, no clothes, just books. Right. Um, our oh, maybe we should you should sell books that are knitted. Yep, or like uh, book covers. <laughs> covers yeah, knitted covers. <laughs> you should sell knitted covers for books. Yep, have yep. knitting clubs here, all of that stuff. That'd be great, yeah. <laughs> uh, our owner, his name is uh, Mr. Bradley Tusk. Um, that's where the T comes from, if you'll follow along in the story. His grandfather um, came over after World War II as a refugee from the Holocaust with his good friend, um, last name Pudlow. Mm-hmm. They started a clothing store. Um, this area, Orchard Street in particular. Of course, it's a big. That was a big thing here. Yeah, yeah. the garment district. Yeah, yeah really. Um, we've had people in here right. who knew the place wow. when it was a wow. knitwear store. Right, that's cool. Um, yeah, it's very special. Are they, are they still history. from? Are they from the neighborhood, or they were like coming back or something? I think they're still in the neighborhood, wow. which is like, cool. yeah. We're happy to have them. Yeah, because yeah. that's Do I they mean, come what often? you're doing. No, love, it's happened. They would be great for the show. No, right? Because the show's uh, storytelling on Orchard Street. Um, I've had quite a few poets, but I also have had other types of guests. So that's, I, I didn't want to call it, even though I'm, a, I'm kind of promoting my poetry, and I also am promoting the poetry of people I meet along the way, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but I didn't want it just to poetry. I want to have options of other types of ways of telling stories. Yeah. Like even so like they would be able now. to tell incredible stories. If they could tell stories about this neighborhood and what it was like. And We have some really incredible people who come through these doors. Um, I bet. It's a great location for that. You know? We had a gentleman who... Um, he used to have his photo taken by uh, a photographer named Clayton Patterson. Um, a lo- like a legend in the neighborhood. Right. Okay. Um, and our podcast studio manager, uh, his name is Serge. Right. You know him very well, yeah. of course. Um, he born and raised. He's born and raised in the Lower East Side. Right. So he used yeah. to have his photo taken by yeah. Clayton Patterson. Right. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of rich history that comes. He showed me a, a picture of his mother in a book. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 yeah it's super cool stuff. Um, yeah. So anyway. Um, that's the story of PNT Knitwear. And cool. then Bradley Tusk um, has been a lifelong lover of literature. He has invested in some really cool stuff like yeah. um, Lime Scooters a while ago, Tend, the dentist um, brand. Yeah, so to like add this as a passion project, mm-hmm. um, it's been very exciting for him and very exciting for all of us here to create with, it with him. It's right. very much like a co-creative process, yeah. Cool. So, by the way, we're not that far away from a legendary restaurant, New York City restaurant, Cat's Deli. Of course, um, of course. I forget, it was like the 1890s, right? Can you um, pass my book? I have an idea. I can, yeah. This is, might be, this is becoming one of my favorite episodes. Because I like improvise, okay. to improvise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, um, usually, you know, plan the show out. I, I get feedback from the guests. Sometimes I know them already, I've heard them, and I write notes and and questions and a bio and all that for them. Yeah, and this is yeah. organic. It's like whatever. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Mind. Yeah. yeah. But um, so we're talking about this neighborhood. I'm going to read something from the book because I'll, I'll explain it to you. I don't think I've read it yet here. So I try not to repeat because I've only been on the air for so far 15 episodes. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so I don't want to uh, repeat things. So one thing they did wrong with this book, I found it pretty fast. One thing they did wrong with this book is there's no table of contents. Mm. 
So if you want to, like, I don't remember where they all are. I'm looking for something. I can't, you know, it takes longer to find it. So in the 90s, uh, so I was a drummer for 40 years, and, um, and I was in different phases of the music business. But in the 90s, I got a job with Lifebeat, the music industry fights AIDS. And uh, the 90s, of course, the AIDS um, epidemic was pretty much at peak. You know, a lot of um, people had died up to that point. And they, when I started, they still hadn't really um, gotten the, the drugs down pat. It was better, but it wasn't quite there yet. So there was a lot of um, mostly men, honestly, uh, and mostly gay men, or certainly... Um, a lot of minorities in the places that I would go. We, I would bring musicians to go perform for people in, in the hospitals and long care facilities. Amazing. Honestly, the, one of the greatest experiences I could say I've had in my life. Um, when I interviewed for the job, I interviewed in an office, and then she said, I want to come to um, one of the pro, uh, shows. So it was at Terrence Cardinal Cook, uh, all the way up in the Upper East Side, and there were 200 beds, you know, and I have to tell you, I knew that um, conceptually it is something I really wanted to do, but I didn't know if I'd actually, like I knew the, the part of getting the musicians to go. Would, well, actually, I wondered what that would be like because people were still very um, leery of AIDS. Like still we didn't understand it, right? So um, it might be get, I thought, well, it might be get hard to get people to go. They'd be afraid to go, you know? And then I was wondering if I could do it. And I went to a performance the performances would be like in um, a family room or, you know, a, a room, that, a shared room. And they weren't usually that big, um, you know, bigger than this, but uh, not a, usually large rooms. So it was very intimate for uh, the guests and the performers. Uh, so. And to me, it was the essence of what music should be, you know, because um, music really, um, even though MTV doesn't matter, but it's a frame of reference, you know, m music wasn't about like that, you know, MTV, or, you know, how much money you make. And really, in this essence, it's part of the community and part of healing and part of entertaining and part of being a human being, right? Yeah. So the business side of it kind of can detract from it. Um, but in this case, like, um, I think the performers got as much out or more out of it than the people who, who were coming. Um, so the first time I went, it was really intimidating because uh, these people were really sick. You know, a lot of them had lesions, you know, or really, really thin or, you know, or hooked up to machines. And I, it was hard to see the first time I went, you know. And um, the woman that was uh, interviewing me said, uh, what do you think? And I said, I guess I hesitated a little bit because I was in, um, in a state, you know, from seeing that, you know. I knew I wanted to do it, but I was like, "Wow, oh, this is really intense," you know. Um, anyway, so I, she, you know, I clarified that to her, and I said, "I really want to do this." I just, you know, it was a it's lot to see. It's hard to see someone in right. that condition, right? And, and people weren't. Most people didn't see people like that unless they had a loved one in, in that position, right? And that's what I'm thinking too. With like this effort that you made, like these people probably had not been in human the vicinity of other humans in an intimate way, like right. so to, to be in such a small and space. And we would, um, we would uh, bring bags of candy and invite the people there to the show and give them candy. That was uh, a big drawer. <laughs> so so this, that's why all this is coming back to me. It's really uh, linked into this neighborhood. 
because I would buy the candy right over here, uh, economy candy. candy. Yeah. I would buy like, you know, four, five, six bags of shopping bags of candy to hand out. So, but um, what made me think of it, of this um, topic was um, a few blocks this way on Rivington Street, there, there was a Rivington House. And that was the newest um, facility. It was built just for that purpose. Everything else was in hospitals. And uh, they were going to have uh, 200 beds and, and state-of-the-art uh, uh, care, you know. And they had uh, on the roof, well, not, not outside of the roof, but that floor of the roof, they had a huge room. And uh, I was able to get equipment donated so we could have, like, a little, you know, more to the shows. And the other places were just a, a piano you, you would hope would be in tune, you know. Um, but in this case, we could put. It was easier to put a bigger show on, you know. So I, I went there every week for years. Wow. It's not there anymore. Um, the city uh, didn't renew the lease because they wanted to sell it to a developer, which is really horrible to hear. Um, but I used to go every week, and for some reason, there was one. Um, uh, we didn't call them patients. Resident. One resident, because they had like a room. And uh, it was supposed. It was they were called residents. They didn't call them patients anyway. Yeah, um, like hospice care. Yeah, except um, not everybody was that. There was like different levels of conditions. There was hosp There were people that at that point. Some. Usually, if somebody got really ill, they would go to the ho a hospital. Then from there, you know, and if they got that sick, maybe they would go to a hospice. But it, it was all levels of some. Some people looked like they were okay, to some degree, you know. But not okay to be on the streets, you know. But this one uh, resident, like I could picture him still. Like I don't know, he was a really colorful character, and I liked talking to him. Um, he had a daughter, and he had pictures of her on the wall, and he had, you know, he used to like to draw. Anyway, this is for him. It's called uh, Ribbonton House on Ribbonton Street. With his gloved hand, he smacked the plate-sized button, and the front door of the residence automatically opened. And he wheeled himself out the door, down the ramp, up the block to the park. It's not central, but it had trees and benches, and sometimes pretty girls flitting by. It took him back, back when he was young and had game. Now he was stuck in a chair, watching life on the east side leave him behind. He didn't recognize anyone anymore, and he missed the old days. Hanging out on the street corner, drinking a cold 45 and bragging with the crew. They are long gone, and Jimmy's Corner Bodega was now a fancy boutique. He quickly gulped down his pastello, afraid some well-meaning hipster would toss coins in his grind. He didn't take out hand he didn't take handouts, at least not that way. And yet he lived on the government's dime, but not by choice. He made the best of it, living with AIDS in a long-term care facility. Despite the hanging beads, the colored lights and photos of his angel plastered on his wall, it was just a hospital room when you get down to it. Been eight years, and he can't even remember how it came down to this, or he was really good at forgetting. He opened his sketchbook and drew gods and heroes in a place much better than this. Time was suspended as images filled the clouds and the pencil moved across the page. The minutes of the day chipped away. It was time to go back and wait in his room for the squeaky wheels of the cart to come down his hall and be served a plate of humility pills and a cup of juice to wash it down. Thank you. Yeah. So um, tell me more about you personally, not just the store. I was interested. Um, we don't always get to talk for in depth, because usually I'm 
concerned about all this and you got stuff to do. I mean, like... What made you come to a, uh, work at a bookstore? Did, I mean, or, uh, you know, do you write? Uh, yeah. Um, the only thing that I've ever identified as in life has been a writer. Okay. Um, and, like, hearing you talk about, yeah, mortality pretty much. Like, right. um, I mean, I think about that all the time. That's a common theme in, in my writing. Um, and I'm 65, so I'm a little closer to it. <laughs> so I've got, you know, you get the more older you get, the more you that you feel how strong that feels. I know? had an experience, so I'm only 25. Right. Um, at this point, I was 24. I am from Florida, and there's a really big water park. Where in Florida um, did you grow up? I'm from South Florida in the okay. suburbs of Fort Lauderdale. Um, it's about 45 minutes north of Miami, and there's this. It's a huge water park. Um, that. It's, it's in the suburbs. Right. Um, it's, it's like a really big operation. And there used to be this ride I loved that was like a massive funnel, and you're in a four, six-top tube, and you go around and around. Uh, like that sounds like fun. I love water parks. It was my favorite ride, and I went one, I guess, last year when I was 24 or whatever it was, and I was so afraid of it. And I'm not the kind of person who – I love roller coasters. I love thrills. And it just, like, dawned on me, like, I'm putting myself in danger. Right. And when I was young, like, I did not know danger. Right. And so it's just so crazy to be, um, yeah, like, putting my life on the line for fun. Right. And I'm the kind of person who does that. Uh Um, Like, what other things have you done? I I haven't done that, and I really want to do that with my mom. Move that just a little closer to the mic. I'm getting worried that it's Yeah. Um, This is good to know, Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Yeah. I want to hear everything. Yeah. Um, no, it definitely sounds better. Um, yeah, I am a, another identity is whitewater rafting. Um, the rivers have always been really important to me. Um, I used to travel with my family a lot, and we used to go whitewater rafting. Um, my parents. I have did a not... poem in the book about some um, of that. I don't know if you know. Sorry. I, I love <laughs> some like rivers are yeah. very important right. to me. Um, growing up around the ocean, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I just have a particular affinity for them. So I worked as a guide um, one summer, and, um, yeah, I just want to keep learning and growing. And Do like, you miss the, that part of being here? 100%. Yeah. Because yeah. um, there are beaches, but you kind of have to take a go at it. You know, it's not that quick from here. I've been getting homesick <laughs> right. um, lately because, like, there's, like, big beach festivals, right. um, especially, like, around the summertime. And I'm just like, oh, just to listen to a band sitting on the beach. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, maybe having, you know, frozen yeah, drink. Yeah, something cocktail. like that, <laughs> yeah. Um, I like to, um, a couple years in a row, I went by myself. I'm married and I have a son, but it, it didn't work out for all of us to go for reasons um, I can't get into. But um, I, I went to Montauk, and I would go in September. So it's after the, where it's really crowded, and it's still warm enough. And uh, the rooms are almost half price, mm. you know. And, and the beach is not crowded. It's mm-hmm. really cool. And, uh, oh, God, I, I'll show you pictures after we're off the air. But there was one night I was sitting um, in town having dinner, and the sky was, like, incredible. It was just like a, like a animated show. The was, sky? Yeah. I, and I finished dinner, and so I had to go to the beach, Mm-hmm. Montauk is the end of the island, and you're you can like almost throw a rock to the water from all sides. Like the you know it's like it's it's, so narrow. Yeah, so narrow. Um, so I went to the beach, and I've never seen anything like it. 
it was a it was like a sh like a light show or like I said animation because it, from the town I was interested in when I got there it got really dark and and oranges layers of orange and and it got darker and darker and darker it took a whole series of shots and it's just incredible. Do you have a nice camera? No, it was for my phone. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. I have, like, so many sunset photos on my yeah, and phone. Yeah, sunsets, too. I got some really good and sunrises because I, I get up early, you yeah. know. Some of my favorite memories, like, are sleeping on the beach with my friends. Oh, sleeping on the beach is Yeah, because I'm from the East Coast, so right. you have to wake up with the sun in order to see the sunrise. Right, right. Ugh, you bring blankets. It's great. Uh, it's the best. Yeah. And, and what I love about the beach, and so when I would go out there, I was, uh, like, a, a block or two away from the beach. So you don't feel the pressure of having to sit there for five hours. You can go whenever you want. Yeah. So I like to get up early and go for a walk with the sunset, you know, and maybe go for a walk, you know, start my day, get some exercise, and then go back and maybe eat breakfast, do some things, and go for a swim, and maybe go have lunch and do something else, and go back and have a swim, have dinner, and then see the sunset. Yeah. This is perfect. It's the whole day. I could live like that. Yeah. Definitely. There's this... Um website called Workaway, and you exchange like labor for food and board and sometimes it's pretty involved um you're like building a barn or something like that sometimes it's just like oh like you know tidy around the house tend to the garden right. um and it's really just people who want company and there's this one guy who has a house on montauk and he has a ton of surfboards and he's right on the ocean wow. Um, I've been dreaming about staying yeah. with him. You got to do it. I really it's have to. Yeah. With the it's season not that coming hard to get up. out. Yeah. 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 But do, no. Do, do I, before I the super busy season. True. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So around. Where it's starting to get warm enough and you, you know. You, Probably you, soon, like in a couple of months. But if you're surfing, the water doesn't have to be. Uh, I got a suit. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. For surfing purposes, it doesn't matter, right? So. No, I'm in a couple of Facebook groups and like people are still surfing. It's February. I mean, it. Just snowed a second ago. I don't Surfers know if you saw that. amaze me. Like when you see those um, replays of like surfs where the water it must be over 100 feet high, like big waves. Yeah, happening. and I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think they they do it. I saw one recently. I'm like, oh my god! I don't even know how you do a regular surf, and you know, uh, I was never that athletic. I um, I don't have good, I don't have great balance. So. I I don't. I don't um, surf yet because I don't stand. Got it. But yeah. um, learning to paddle and things like that. Um, but anyway, I was whitewater rafting on like huge water, right. and it's like literally called big water. It was a class four at least rapid. Um, this is in West Virginia on the Gauley River. There's a festival every year called Gauley Fest. Um, so it's a I bunch like, of river like rats. Yeah. yeah, just get together and goof around. And it's, this is like a serious river. Um, like, to scale, like, it goes like one to five right. class. Um, and I was facing this wave. It's called Hawaii Five O, and here, really? I just saw it in front of me and go, "Oh, that's big water!" It dawned on me. I was like, "Yeah, that's why it's called big water." Right. It was just like a sheet of water right. in front of me. And that's why it's five Hawaii Five O is from the surfing term. Wow. But it's I nothing compared to like. Did the you ever see the, You probably didn't see the original TV show. Did I you? did. I did. did and then you? I've seen a little bit of the the new one. And then that actor, I don't remember his name. Um, one of them, he's in this new show I love. Oh. It's called uh, New Amsterdam, and it's all about... Oh, I was interested. I was wondering if that was any good. It's that. amazing. It, so Hawaii Five-0, I have to say this, because my mind goes crazy with mm. 
when I'm, when I'm talking to you, this is fun. Yeah, um, you, you're, like, like, you're like us well, in search. There's something I want to look for, but um, Hawaii Five-O is... Um, so that was, that's a like, kind of TV show I grew up with. I'm going to watch that, the original one, mm-hmm. the one in the 60s. And there was also uh, Mission Impossible. It was a TV show before the movie also. Oh, wow, right? Yeah. Oh, it was a great TV show. Um, it was so clever and it was so ahead of its time and it was so detailed, mm-hmm. you know, more than... Because, um, again, we're talking about the 60s. But what, I, what I wanted to say was... the. Um, the bass player on both of those and, and a ton of other scores and about 10,000 hits from the 60s is Carol Kay. So like, she, she even did some Motown and mm. uh, she had... She, Are we she, talking about Carol King right now? No, Carol Kay. Mm. Yeah, uh, she's pretty much like one of the early um, women musicians that made it to that kind of level, you know. I mean, there were a lot of great women musicians throughout the you know time in mm-hmm. 40s and 50s and they they do get overlooked and I could do some research and do a show just about that but um Carol Kay it's almost like she invented the electric bass I mean she made it really prominent and she was really a, a good jazz guitarist she in the 50s she did a lot of jazz guitar mostly that but she started doing studio work because she had a kid and it's more you know regular mm-hmm. but in the, in the, actually in the 50s she played guitar for um, she was on Richie uh, Valens hit La Bamba, which you've heard, even if you didn't hear the oh, original man. one. Yeah, and uh, he, God, this is taking me down a rabbit hole. <laughs> I can talk for two hours. Well, I'm, I'm going to stop you right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm off the subject, but the with, music. But uh, look into Carol Kay and look into Carol Kay because she's amazing. Know. She was a talent. She was on the greatest songs in the '60s. I have such an obsession with the day the music died. And I've been, speaking of writing, I've been thinking about writing this for years. This was the first piece when I decided that I was going to commit to the writing life. Wow. I was like... I wish you had to hear that you could read it now that it's on the subject matter. (laughs) I mean, I, I really, like, imagine, like, the life that got sucked out of that generation when they're idols. Like, people who saw them for the spirit, like, the creative spirits that they are... Well, Buddy, Buddy Holly, to me, it was one of the most important musicians in the 50s. I could talk just about him for hours. It's yeah. Like, you know, That's where the obsession came from. Well, Buddy Holly? Yeah, he's, to me, I feel like he's overlooked, you know, uh, when, when you talk about music history. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay, I got it. Um, so the, we're talking about Rafton. I want to read this. It's, it's not, it wasn't about Rafton, but it kind of fits with the subject matter. It's called Final Resting uh, Place. White, foamy, gurgling water, rapidly moving over rocks and stones. Smooth and craggy edges. Capsized body out of control, arms and legs thrashing, grasping, but there's nothing there to grab hold of. Lungs gasping for air, beams of hot, blinding sunlight, eyes burning red, winding, outraged river. Winding outrage river, sorry. Snaking and weaving a journey's end on a cold, muddy bed to a final resting place with no witness to the unfortunate bitter end. Sorry, is that too dark for you? <laughs> I got surfed once uh-huh. in a river, which it's when you get recycled over and over and over again and the water doesn't let you go. And I relied oh, on my oh, training because right. you, you fall up. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. The smaller you make yourself, right. that makes you're, you're going to rise to the top. Cool. And then people will play around with this. They'll get to the bottom of, uh, they'll get under a river or, or, or a rapid and they'll starfish and they'll stay there longer. Wow. And then you can play right. around with it. You can Jeez. stay and you can go up and stay and go up. 
just kept getting researched. It's called being uh, researched uh, or surfed. Um, that was on the New River. So that was that same trip. That was like a massive, extraordinary trip. We went camping, and I was in such good hands. Like um, my teacher's teacher was my guide on that trip. And I learned so much from watching him, from being in his boat. He was just so calm through it all. You know, you're a great guest. Oh, thanks. <laughs> this, considering that we didn't plan this at all. So um, I was originally, when I thought I was doing it by myself, and by the way, I'm very happy that this worked out, although I still want to do my, th I was going to do a show just on all the pieces I wrote about music. But let's get a couple of them in. And you offered to read one. Yeah, I would love so, to. So I'll set it up. Um, I forgot what that one's what it's called. <laughs> before her time. Yeah, before her time. Yeah, please. Uh, so, you know what? I'm, let me see that for a second, because I, I wrote a couple. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it is. So this is about Karen Dalton. So my listeners, you should go check her music out. She was Bob Dylan's favorite folk singer. She had an unbelievable voice. I mean, there was so much motion and feeling in her voice, kind of like. Billie Holiday, but in a folk way, you know, like just drenching with emotion and, and, really and heart and feeling. And her songs were great, but she just really didn't have a thing for the business part of it. But she was big in the scene in the West Village, and she knew all, all the folk people knew so, her. So, yeah. story before we start, I used to live in San Francisco. I lived there about like six months, and I used to spend time um, at this cafe in Ocean City. Mm -hmm. um, one I've day. been there uh, San Francisco once. I loved it. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I was at this cafe. This um, older gentleman sat down with me. He had a, um, a woman around his age companion with him. And he starts talking to me and tells me he used to be a mentor to Bob Dylan. Uh -huh. um, I ask him what he means by that, what kind of mentor. Um, and I asked him to tell me more. He said that when Bob Dylan, who by a different name, was still in, I don't remember where he's from, but Minis University. Uh, Min Minneapolis, yeah. Yep. Uh -huh. um, when he was there, All right. he used to hang out on this gentleman's couch. He just hosted artists, creatives, musicians, oh, okay. and it was there. He hated all of his classes. It was there. He was drumming. He was playing the guitar, and he right. decided to go oh, out west cool. and start his career. Right. So he, from his couch, launched Bob Dylan. Wow. I met him. That's pretty amazing. You remember his name? Oh, okay. <laughs> it's okay. So read the... Uh, to the uh, listeners, I... Yeah, so... <laughs> longingly shook my head now. Um, so this is Before Her Time by Pete Solomita. What hurt you inside, my lovely songstress? Did the pain change your voice, one time angelic, to a mature, smoky longing? For something more, meaningful than life, you shun the spotlight craved by your peers, and walked away from all that. But I still can hear you, bathe in the richness of your songs, and wonder what transpired in the mind of a truly gifted artist, gone before her time. Thank you. Maybe, um, think about it, maybe you can come back for part two, and you could read something from you. Yeah. So I'm looking for a piece here. Next time. Here it is. Um, so... This one is about uh, the griot um, tradition in Mali. Um, I've always been a big fan in exploring the music in Africa. Matter of fact, I mean, I was a drummer, so that's just natural. And all the music that I love has roots in Africa. And we could do a whole podcast about that. <laughs> um, I did a lecture in 
when I was in college uh, about it. So, and real quick, if you think about it, like uh, different parts of Africa, obviously, um, was part of the slave trade, Mm -hmm. different countries. And the slaves went to uh, different places throughout the world. So they came, you know, some of the, you know, obviously here in the United States, uh, Cuba, you know, Dominican Republic, uh, uh, Brazil, uh, even Peru, uh, Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And in all of those locations, including this country, um, their music, uh, it was hard for them to keep their traditions totally sometimes they were forced to bring on the traditions of where they were. But over time, uh, their music evolved, and it got influenced by their new home and the new place. Not much of a home, but where they were living. And um, and so you, you got jazz in this country, and you got reggae in uh, uh, Jamaica, and you've got the samba in Brazil, and you've got um, you know Cuban music, you got... Um, Mambos and discargas and you know so, and then uh, when airplane travel became easier, then all that that was happening went back to Africa, you know records, mm-hmm. um, right? And, and more people uh, um, traveling more, so the music spread back to Africa that they African people influenced originally, mm-hmm. and then they took it and put it back into their music. It's really unbelievable. You could look at this and... Anyway, um, so I've, I've always had an affinity for that because all the music that I love from this country really has, most, for the most part, has its roots in Africa. So I went to Africa and listened to... Not physically. <laughs> listened to where it came from. And each country in Africa, obviously, for the most part, the music's quite different. Um, recently, um, I don't know, it's the last eight years, six years, whatever, I've been delving into music from Mali, and uh, there's so much amazing music there. I'm so um, happy you mentioned Mali. That is like my number one place that I want to visit. Yeah, I think um, now's not a good time uh, from what I've read once um, for reasons. Uh, so you got to definitely seek that out because I would love to go to Ethiopia, and we could talk about that too because Mali and Ethiopia, I think I got into later than some like um, Nigeria and Senegal and uh, South Africa, and uh, and, a lot, and some of the reason is because those some of those performers from there were coming to the country. This country they kind of got some notice in this country uh, when I was really getting into music, seventies and eighties, and uh, I saw a lot of great African bands. You know, I'm through, sure you have such years. great recommendations. Yeah, you know. So um, anyway, this is um, about the uh, the grit, and uh, I'm going to play a piece. Um, sorry, I got to queue it up. I mean, it's queued up. I gotta get my phone to go back on. Uh, it's from Tumani Diabati and Siddiqui Diabate, and it's father and son. And they're uh, from a long line of uh, griots. It's a chorus. That's the instrument. Yeah, string instrument. Griot, sing your song, steep in deep tradition, passed from generation to generation of poetic musicians. Wipe your brows, seated like royalty, strum your chora, a stringed fugue that calls out to ancestral spirit, 
those that came before. Mother Earth, rich roots and soil, crops planted. A baby is born, an elder laid to rest. A village rejoices, the new bond of love. And life is carried on. I'm on the outside, but I'm looking in with respect, Molly. Drum beats, desert songs, uplifting melodies, funky rhythms steeped in the blues. I'm hooked, Molly. From the very first note, I am hooked. I love the repetition of the word hooked because I'm just imagining like the finger that it takes yeah. to strum the instrument. Oh, such a great instrument. It's such a beautiful instrument. And here, the two of the father and son doing it together, it's, it's just great. You know? It's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that yeah. with me. Uh, my, this, this show's going really fast. Uh, do I have? Oh, I, I want to do this one. You don't mind, do you? Um, I love uh, music, obviously, you know, and I read uh, a lot of books I read uh, related to music over the years. I've read a lot of books about music and musicians, and I love, I love documentaries, period. You know, when I don't feel like being hooked into a two-hour-plus movie and drama and whatever, or, you know, serial killers, <laughs> I like to watch music documentaries and other ones, too. Um, so this one, um, I, I saw one about uh, Bill Evans, uh, the great jazz uh, Pianist whose records on his own are just otherworldly. Um, he was uh, he he played uh, with Miles Davis in the fifties, and he's on the mo uh, King, uh, uh, kind of blue, which is still to this day uh, the largest selling jazz record of all time. It's like if you don't have that in your collection, um, you're missing something big. And and if and if you like jazz, you have to have that one. Um, so, um, but. Bill Evans had a young bass player, uh, Scott LaFaro, and at the time he was considered, you know, the best, you know, one of the favorite bass players uh, for people uh, at the time, and Bill Evans loved him, and they, you know, made great music together. Uh, he died in a car accident, and um, it took, like, you know, Bill just took him a long time to get over it. Like, he just, you know, he really obviously got deeply impacted, and uh, this is about that. I can't understand death. You were just here and now you're gone. Too young to leave us with much more to say. The music stands still. I can't better play a note. Not without your presence. Interplay, foundation, the roots of the chord. Allow me to explore my thing. It's so quiet now I sit in my room. I think as though I can hear a pin drop. It's just that way. We had unconditional love. Harmonics, we swung, we turned out the stars, kind of blue, special we all knew. We made people listen and take a deep look inside. Now life is not the same, nothing matters. The rhythm has stalled, plucked vibrations still resonate, echoing in the emptiness you left behind. Dissonance permeates and I can't envision a life without you. You know what I mean? That was really profound. Wow. I mean, like, the last line, it's creative, it's poetic, it's very impactful, like, to have a creative partner. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I feel that way. Serge Rodriguez, who runs the studio with me, like, we met, and it was Kindred. Mm -hmm. um, and I, he's knew. a great guy. I really like him. He's incredible. I want to have him on the show so we can talk about, talk about the Knicks. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He would absolutely love that. Yeah. Just to, like... And also what he remembers from the growing up on the Lower East Side. He's a, like a he's just like a, a wealth of 
knowledge and kindness and spirit. He's an incredible person, and I'm very lucky to know him. Um, yeah, just to have a creative partner who is not there anymore, it's like you really do lose a part of yourself yeah. with that. And, and, and music, uh, well, and anything, anything artistic, really, in my mind, you know, um, it helps to have that, you know, people are lucky with it. Um, we went to 40 minutes already. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. This has been a great show. I've really enjoyed this. Um, anything you want to wrap up with uh, on a personal or business level? Yeah, come and see us, uh, 180 Orchard Street. We are open seven days a week, 12 to 8. Go to, um, the, go to the website for events. Yep, and come in, record in the podcast studio. We would love to have you. Um, free 90 minutes weekly, open and available to the public. Um, and we're, come here and buy books. Come buy books, yes, 100%. Do an event with us, you, get a cup of coffee. Is there something um, that you would steer people into? I mean, I know books are a matter of taste, but is there something special that uh, kind of sticks out in your head? I just devoured Big Swiss, Jen Began's latest novel, Big mm -hmm. Swiss. Cool. Um, it will be developed into a TV show uh, starring Jodie Comer. Um, it is a sexy, horny rom-com set in the Hudson Valley. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, it's absolutely hilarious. Laugh out loud. Is um, it good enough for it to be made into a movie? Uh, it's going to be a TV show. A TV and, show. Um, oh, okay. It's... It's going to blow people away. Awesome. Um, you know, unputdownable, right. to use that term. And what's your favorite section in the bookstore? Essays. I'm okay. an essayist myself. Oh, nice. Um, I love personal essays. Okay. Um, off the top of my head. Do you, are you, um, are you, you have a book? I don't have a book yet. You're going um, to work on it? I'm working on a book. Okay. Probably 20... 24 is when I'll have something really substantial. Cool. I look um, forward to it. Yeah. yeah. Super happy to be here. Thank you for having yeah. me, Pete. This has been so much fun. I hate it for, for it to end. <laughs> we'll do it next time. But, you know, all good things come to an end, as they say. Uh, you've been listening to Storytelling on Orchard Street, and I've had the pleasure of a great conversation with Felicia, uh, who works at, again, P&T Knitwear Bookstore, 180 Orchard Street, um, thank you for listening to the show. Tell your friends. And uh, this has uh, been a fun time. Thanks, and we'll see you. Or you'll know, see us or hear us. Hear you on the airwaves. <laughs>